I don't know if any of you guys have a person like this in your life. Probably not, you know. Um, but 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 it, it, I I have a couple people like this in my life, and and maybe you do. Uh, how many of you can say that you have somebody in your life that when you're having a conversation with them, and maybe you're sharing something, you know, maybe intimate or or, or vulnerable or or sensitive, they they have this this tendency. Uh, and it's sort of an annoying and can be an exasperating tendency to turn every conversation into a conversation about them. Anybody know anybody like that in your life? Some of you guys are looking at like very nervously, like you're not, you're actually not moving because the person you're thinking about is sitting right beside you and you don't want to flinch because then they'll know. Um, the good news is they're thinking the exact same thing about you. So uh, we, we're, this is everybody, right? We've all, we've all done this. The, the technical term is, is self-absorbed, right? The, the, the familiar term is navel-gazing. We're, we're all guilty of this, like where, where somebody's talking about something that's going on in, in, in their life, and you're listening to them, but then your eyes kind of glaze over because you're actually thinking of a better story that you can tell as soon as they are quiet, uh, and then you can get your story out because really it's all about you, right? Is anybody? I used to have a friend, and he would say, he <laughs> he at least recognized this quality in him, in himself, and you know. So he would we would be talking, and when I say talking, he would be monologuing for like forty minutes about himself, and then he would say this as a joke, but kind of not. All right, he'd say, "Enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me?" Right, <laughs> right. Because we all have this tendency, we all have this proclivity to be thinking about and focused on ourselves. It's kind of an exasperating thing if you're ever with somebody who does this. And believe me, it's exasperating for the other person when you do this too, okay? Um, what's really crazy is when it happens in a, in a more, in a larger setting. So like, it, not just a person, but like an institution, like a church or a, a, a company or an, or an organization that's, that forgets that it's actually supposed to be outward-facing, considering, serving, thinking about other people, but it kind of turns inward to itself. Like, if you've ever gone into a restaurant and, like, nobody notices you, has that happened to anyone? Where, like, you're there and you're, like, standing there and nobody's seating you, nobody, waiters are talking, people are just having, talking about, you know, they're looking on their phone, they're like, and you're like, hey, you know, uh, patron here, ready to be served. This, 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 in case you can't tell, that, that drives me crazy. Because I used to be a waiter when I was in college. And that was my second favorite job. This is my favorite job ever. And I've had a lot of jobs. But that was my second favorite job. Not because I just love waiting tables, but, but because we had this amazing leader who owned the restaurant. And her name was Terry. She was a chef. And I remember the very first day of training, this is what she did. She brought us in. She's like, okay, you want to be a waiter? Here's how you be a waiter. She sat us down at a table, and then she put, like, a little saucer in front of us that was stacked full with saltine crackers. She's like, I want you guys all to eat these saltine crackers. And we're like, okay. Are we, like, I didn't think that's what we would be serving here, but okay. So we're eating the saltine crackers, and she leaves, walks out of the room. So we're all eating this thing of saltine crackers, and then we finish off our plate, and um, we're waiting for her to come back, and, like, one minute passes, and then two minutes pass, and then five minutes pass. It's like 10, 10, 12 minutes pass. And, and I don't know if you've ever eaten saltine crackers, but there's a weird quality about them. They're very salty. And, um, and after you eat them, you know, you, it, it sucks all of the moisture out of your mouth, and your mouth gets really dry and really parched, and you're really dying for a drink because you've eaten, you know, a, a boatload of saltine crackers. And so 
After about 15 minutes, Terry walks back in to the room, and she's got this ice-cold pitcher of water and some glasses. And she goes, would anybody like a drink? And we're all like, yes, we would. And so she pours us these glasses, and then she goes, here's what I want to teach you. I want you to imagine that every person who walks into this restaurant has eaten a plate full of saltine crackers. They are parched. They are desperate for a drink, and it's your job to see them, to seat them, and to serve them as fast as you possibly can. She said, I don't want any person sitting in this restaurant for more than 30 seconds without you coming with a pitcher of water asking how you can serve that person. Because she wanted us to understand that it's not about us. It's about the mission. It's about the people we serve. It's about the people who are coming in who have a need, who have a hurt, who have a, a desire, who have a hunger, who, need, who are thirsty, whose souls are, 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 are parched and need something from us. That's what she's trying to teach us. And that is what the Apostle Paul, in his closing remarks in this letter, is saying to you and to me. He, he wants us... And this is, this, is, this is huge, you guys. If you get this, you get everything. He wants us to know that the mystery of Christ, which is, if you haven't kept up with the series, you can go online, but the mystery of Christ is that Christ is in you, right? But Christ is not in you just for you. Christ is in you to move through you to bring love and justice and mercy and peace and comfort and grace to somebody else. It's not about us. The Christian life does not end with us. It never ends with us, right? Now, all of us have this tendency, and, and so the Apostle Paul just keeps breaking it open over and over. We all have this tendency. We can become inward-focused. I mean, my job is to serve other people and to equip other people for the work. That's my job. That's my role. But even I, in my role in my life, I can, I can turn inward, right? I'll be the first to admit it. I can turn inward. I can actually be preparing a sermon that is designed to serve somebody else, that is designed to equip and empower somebody else, and I get more caught up in the preparation and I forget about the people that I'm preparing the sermon for, right? It can happen, it can happen right in the midst of, of, of planning and trying to help somebody else. In your family, we can get, we can get self-absorbed. In our relationships at school, we can get self-absorbed. In our, in our friendships, on our job, it becomes about us. Instead of the people that we're serving, the Apostle Paul goes, I want to break, break something through to you because it's not about us. It's not about us. And so as he closes the letter, these are his parting words. He's given us all of these rich theological realities that are just amazing, right? Last week we talked about the real you and how God is chipping away the, 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 the parts of your life that don't magnify the real you, that aren't the real you. And he's, and he's bringing you out and he's carving you into a masterpiece because that's who you are and then Apostle Paul takes this turn and he goes, but the masterpiece is not just for you, it's for you to serve somebody else. It's for Christ to work through you to point somebody else to him. And so this is how, I'm going to read you how he closes it, and then we'll kind of break it out a little bit together. Just a small, a small portion, he says this. He says, devote yourselves, this is Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You ever notice how hard it is to, to be grateful and to complain at the same time? It's like just categorically impossible, right? He wants us to be watchful and thankful. And then he says this. He goes, and pray for us too. So at first you go, wait a minute, Paul. You were 
you were starting to tell us that, you know, we should be serving others. But then immediately in the letter, you say, pray for us. So you've already just turned this back on you, right? So what do you want us to pray for, Paul? You want us to pray that you, you, you know, you're not in prison anymore, that you get to go to the spa, that you get to relax and have a good time, that you get to go hang out with your family and kick it on the beach and enjoy. Is that what you want us to pray for, Paul? And look what he does. He says, I want you to pray for us so that God may open a door for our message. He says, I, 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 Paul writes this in jail, by the way. He's chained to the floor. He's asking for God to open a door, not for him, but so that he can go proclaim the message to somebody else. He's asking God to liberate him, not because he wants liberated, because there's other people that need liberated, and he has something to tell them that they need to hear. He's saying, God, open a door for us so that we can go serve them, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Then he says this, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Notice this is all about, why does he want to proclaim it clearly? So that those who hear it can hear it well. He's always thinking about the other person. And then he says this, and he closes out the letter. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I'm going to need your help uh, uh, announcing the title of my message today. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say the thing to them that you've been wanting to say for a long time. Tell them it's not about you. You can tell them. Just tell them. Okay. Marriage retreat, September 7th and 8th. That's right. Marriage retreat, September 7th and 8th. <clears throat> we have 14 people signing up right now online. Um, my mom gave me one of the best pieces of advice on this topic that I've ever received. I was kind of, I was younger, and, and, I, and I was sort of like always worried about what people thought about me. You know, and I had this thing of like, I would come out of my head and then go into their head. Like I'm a mind reader. Like I know what they're thinking about me right? And so then I would think about what they're thinking about me, and then I would be upset about that and worried about that, nervous about that. My mom gave me this great advice. She said, Brent, don't worry what people are thinking about you, because they're probably not thinking about you at all. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know what to do with that, but I think that's liberating, right? She said, they're thinking about themselves, Brent. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. We're all in the same boat. We're all just thinking about ourselves. We're totally self-abhorred. It's not, the Apostle Paul says, about you. The Christian life does not ever end with us. If you're here and you're a Christian today, you're a follower of Jesus, this is so important for you to get. This is like absolutely key to you exploring and fulfilling the purpose that God has for you rather than getting totally self-absorbed in a box like looking at yourself wondering about your own life, right? So if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a liberating message. This is an absolutely liberating reality when you go, oh my gosh, it's not about me. It's about a gift that God has given me to serve somebody else for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to God. That is something to be excited about. That's something to get behind, right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to get this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, at least you get to peek in today to see what God is telling us Christians that we're supposed to be like, right? And we're not always like it. We don't always grasp it. We don't always measure up. But this is what he's saying. This is what he wants us to know. It's not about you. And so look how he does this. I'm going to kind of go through and break this out a little bit and explore individually the lines that he uses there because he starts in the passage by saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Okay, it's the end of the summer. So that means, you know, it's still summertime. Everybody who's here, like people who come to church in the summer, they're the real Christians. And then all of the backsliders come in the fall. So, so I know that you guys... 
I know that you guys are all the real Christians, so you're going you're gonna to go with me as we geek out a little bit on the Scripture. Is that cool? We're going to geek out. We're going to Greek out. All right? Are you ready for this? All right. So I was looking at the word that Paul uses for prayer this week. I was studying it, and something I, in, in the study, I re- recognized something. I discovered something that I never knew, never, never knew, never noticed, and I'm going to convey it to you because it's powerful and it's transformative. The word that he uses for prayer, and he uses it over and over, is the, 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 the main word used in the New Testament for prayer, and Paul uses it all the time, and he uses it in this passage. The, the Greek word is actually prosuke. Prosuke, okay? I told you we were going to get geeky for a minute. But, but what this is, is it's a prefix and a root word. Okay, it's Greek. Pros means toward or exchange. It, 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 it denotes intimacy, like proximity, right? We see it in other words. Pros, like quid pro quo, this in exchange for that, right? So pros means toward, intimate. Think of it like forward-facing, leaning in, and an exchange, okay? And then the word UK, the other half of the word, means a wish or desire. So what the word prayer when Paul says prayer, what he actually means is an exchange of wishes and desires. That's transformative. Prayer, we tend to think of as a monologue. I'm praying to God. Presumably, he's listening. And then we're done, right? Paul says, no, 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 that's not prayer. Prayer is you speaking to God and then listening to God. It's, it's you expressing your wishes and desires to God and then hearing his wishes and desires for you. It's an exchange of wishes and desires. So you know why we don't pray very often, many of us? Because the way we think of prayer and the way we do prayer is super boring. It's super boring. We come in, we go, God, you know, um, help, help my mom, help my dad, help my wife, help my kids, you know, um, help me to get a better job, help me to make more money, and that's about it. Thanks. Amen. And then you're out, right? I mean, we think of it as a monologue. We think of it as I'm coming to God and I've got a wish list and I'm going to punch him off. God, do this, do that. And then we're done, right? Paul says, no, 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 no. It's an exchange of wishes. It's an exchange. It gets a lot more interesting when it becomes a conversation. Here's what he's saying. When it's not all about you, devotion becomes dialogue. Devotion becomes dialogue. It's a back and forth. It's a real relationship. There's an intimacy. There's a leaning towards. There's an exchange. And God is saying to us as a church family, he's saying it to the Colossians, he's saying it to us, I want you to devote yourself to an exchange of desires with God. Devote yourself to prayer. I want you to devote yourself to spending time with God on an intimate basis. Now, this is going to be brand new for some of you. This is going to crack open your brain. You're going to be like, what are you even talking about? We're going to start leaning into this as a church. We're going to create environments. We'll have life groups this semester, prayer life groups, where you can learn to start dialoguing with God, right? Because the crazy thing about God is he actually answers your prayer. And I, what I mean by that is not that he does everything that you said you want him to do. He doesn't fulfill every single desire that you have. But when you pray to him and then when you listen to him, then he tells you what your, his desire is for you. It becomes, a desi- it becomes a relationship. It becomes a dialogue, not just a monologue. And here's the other reality that happens. When you get intimate with God like this, 
when your prayer life becomes an exchange of desires, an exchange of wishes, rather than you just monologuing to God about your deal, because it's all about you, when it, when it changes into a dialogue where you're speaking and listening, your struggles in life become your strengths. Your struggles in life become your strengths, because you start to ask God, God, what do you want me to do with the situation that I'm in? Not just, God, get me out of the situation that I'm in. You start praying, God, what do you want to form in me? What do you want to build in me in the midst of this difficult situation? How do you want me to be transformed by the situation? You see, the struggle actually becomes a source of strength. When I lived in Arizona, I lived there for a little while when I was in college, and we went and visited this place down in Oracle, Arizona. It's like just north of Flagstaff. And there was this experiment that they were doing down in Oracle, Arizona. This group of scientists had, had gotten together to see whether human beings could exist in a closed ecosystem. The idea was, like, you know, if we ever land on Mars or we're ever going to live on the moon, can, can we build an, a closed ecosystem? Can we build an environment where human beings can actually live and flourish? And so they built this thing down in Arizona. They call it the biosphere. And it's this huge complex down there in Oracle, Arizona. And it's an enclosed ecosystem. You know, we, I went down and visited, like walked in it. You can go in there. Uh, and, and, and it's really interesting because they've got all of these sort of ecosystems down there. there. There's like an ocean, you know, a man-made ocean, a coral reef. There's some wetlands. There's some savannas. There's, a, you know, some trees, tree, you know, treed air forest area, rainforest they were trying to build. Uh, there's some a human habitat. There's like all these different ecosystems. And what they were trying to do is is can people live in an, in an environment like this? Can this kind of life be sustained in an enclosed ecosystem? Well, you know, unfortunately, the first thing that happened is the eight people that lived in this enclosed ecosystem started hating each other, like, pretty quickly in the process. They divided into two camps, and they, like, were trying to vote people off the island. Like, the real, for real. I mean, they, they you know, you can read about it. They, they just, they started hating each other right, right out of the gate because it's all about us. And, um, and so that, that's what happened. But what was actually, from a scientific standpoint, really interesting is that they were trying to grow these trees. And they would plant these little seeds, and it would grow into a sapling. But every time the sapling started to grow into a mature tree and grow a crown with branches and leaves extending out, the tree would fall over under its own weight every time. And people are like, what's going on? Are people pushing the trees over? Like, why are these trees not growing. I mean, they're growing, but as soon as they grow to a certain weight, they fall over. Why is this happening? They couldn't understand it. And then one of the things that, that was really curious is that they were saying, look, these trees should not be falling over because there's no wind to blow them over. And then they went, oh, wait. The fact that there's no wind is the reason that the little saplings are not developing the kind of strength that they need in their youth to become strong in their maturity and not fall over. In other words, a tree for it to grow requires opposition in the form of wind. The opposition forms what they, they literally call this stress wood inside of the tree. The fact that a tree is strong and can stand strong is directly related to the fact that at some point in its young life, it faced a struggle. It faced opposition. And the opposition changed the genetic character of the tree to give it the power to grow into a large, strong, 
powerful tree. And the fact that these trees never experienced opposition is what caused them to fall when they were mature. Some of us are trying to get away from struggle and away from opposition and get out of difficult circumstances. And when you're when it's not all about you and when we're in intimate relationship with God, God's going, no, 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 no. I actually don't want to pull you out of that situation right now because I'm trying to build something inside of you that will give you the strength as you grow to live out the mission for which I have called you. I want you to know that when you're in intimate relationship with God, when it's not all about you, your struggle actually becomes the source of your strength. Your struggle becomes your strength. Today, some of you, like right now, you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this struggle, this struggle, there's no purpose in this. There's no reason that I would be in this struggle. There can't be any reason or value for me to experience this difficulty. And God's going, hey, if you'll listen to me, I'll actually form something in you in the midst of this struggle that a few years down the road, you will be strong and nourishing and you'll be able to be a source of strength and nourishment and flourishing and hope for somebody else if you'll let me build the strength inside of you through the struggle right now. That's what he's telling us. In fact, the Apostle Paul got this. He got this so beautifully. He's in prison. He's in prison. He's chained to the floor. He's waiting execution, possible execution by the Roman government, right? And if anybody has a reason to go, get me out of this struggle, it's the Apostle Paul. Like, God, I've been good. I've been living right. I've been preaching the gospel. I've been living out the mission. Get me out of here. Right? You know what he says? I want to read you this little passage. This blows me away. He says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me the struggle that I'm facing right now, the difficulty that I'm in, the chains that are binding me, the imprisonment that I'm undergoing right now, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's saying the struggle that I'm in is, is giving me strength to serve the purpose that God has for me. It's, it's actually serving to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, because, not in spite of, not despite, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He said, look, my struggle is my strength. Because the chains are what, are, are what is making way for the change that is coming into people's lives. I'm, I am struggling, but my struggle is my strength. Today, for some of you, that's what God wants to convey to you today. Let that struggle become the source of your strength. Let him build. When you're in intimate prayer, don't just say, God, get me out of this. Just get me out of this. Say, God, if it, you know, if it be your will, get me out of this. I'd like to get out of this, actually. But while I'm in it, can you tell me what you want me to know? Can you tell me what you want me to learn in the midst of this strength? Because sometimes God is saying, look, I want you to know me. What I want you to know is me, and, and the only way you're going to experience me is if you need me. Because when you don't need me, you don't pay attention to me. I want you to experience me. I am the answer to the problem you have. So if at the end of the day you're just praying to get loose of the struggle, I can't let you out yet. I need you to experience me because I'm the source of your strength in the midst of your struggle. 
That's what he's trying to tell you. And, 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 then, and then what the Apostle Paul does is beautiful because he says, look, it's, 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 it's going to turn you into your strength. It's going to build you into what God has for you. It's going to allow you to grow into the design and into the vision, into the mission that he has for you. And what is that vision, mission, what is that directed towards? It's directed to somebody other than you. Here's how he closes this part of the letter, and I'm going to close with this in just a minute. He says, be wise, this is how he closes, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, those who are not yet experiencing God's love and mercy and grace in their life. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, and then he ties this little phrase on, make the most of every opportunity. You know what he's saying right now in this part of the passage? When it's not all about you, outsiders become opportunities to share the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Outsiders become the opportunity for you to fulfill your mission. Somebody who's never experienced God's love, and he's not saying go out and you know, bang down people's doors and proselytize. He's saying demonstrate through your word and deed who God is by the grace and love that you are extending to those that you might not even like. Those that you don't know, those many of whom you haven't met, those you walk by on the street, be careful in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I'm going to close with this. My, my sons I went to summer camp this year. Uh, they went to church camp. And um, Gary, you can come help me with this. They, 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 um, they went down to church camp, like down in Branson. And... Um, it was, you know, it's really interesting because I, 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 I went to church camp when I was a kid, but like the kind of church camp that I went to, it was very different from this church camp. Like I grew up in, um, I, I grew up like in an old timey gospel kind of environment, like old school Pentecost. So did you, Gary. Look, look you hear that? Come on, man. Um, and <clears throat> hey, uh, anyway. <laughs> I said it's not about you. No, okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. One day we'll get there, we'll get there. We're working on that. Uh, um, <laughs> so I grew up in this, in the, like, old school, you know, Pentecostal campgrounds. The, my kids are going to this campground where they got swimming pools and, like, slides, water slides and the big, the big thing in the pool that you jump off of and it launches somebody else in the air. Blob. It's a blob. You've been to that camp. Yeah. Uh, you know, my when I went to church camp, we didn't have a swimming pool. We had like a water hose. Like, you, you cold? Hot? You know? You know? Um, we slept on rocks at my church camp. That's just how we, because we were real. And um, so anyway, my sons are down there and we go down to pick them up at the end of the summer and we go, and it's a hot day in July, and we're going on, and there are going to be these closing ceremonies, and we're going to go on and, you know, get our kids and get out of there. And we go walking up there, and I notice, like, right out of the gate, we come walking up, and there are these teenagers, and the teenagers have these fans. And, like, as you walk onto the campus, they give you the, a fan, like a, just a cardboard fan with a little stick on it, and it's got, like, the order of, of the ceremony on there, like, all the information you need, and it's in the shape of a fan. I thought, well, that's pretty nice, because it's super hot, and you got a fan. Okay, so that's good. That was really thoughtful. So we walk, you know, we walk through there, and then we walk a, a few feet further, about 20 feet further, and there's some more teenagers. 
And the, these other teenagers hand us, like they have a basket of moist towelettes. Like the kind that you break open, like at a barbecue place, you know, and like wipe your hands off. They've got these moist towelettes, and they're like, would you like a moist towelette? And I'm like, I wasn't thinking of that. But actually, now that you mention it, uh, you know, because you're sweating and everything. So you got the moist towelette, and you're wiping off, and you're like, well, that was pretty nice. You walk about 20 more yards, you're like, what am I supposed to do with this moist towelette? There's a kid with a trash can. Would you like to throw the moist towelette in the trash can? You're like, oh, wow, man, this guy, like, they're thinking of everything here, right? You walk about 20 more yards, there are these kids standing around a horse trough filled with ice and water bottles. They're like, would you like some, some bottled water? And I'm like, why, yes, I would. And like, like, just over and over and over, they keep surprising you by serving you in an area of your need that you didn't even know you had. You didn't even know you wanted it, right? But what they're teaching these kids, it's profound, is it's not about you. It's about serving somebody else. It's about, it's, about, it's about nourishing somebody else. It's about wiping the sweat off of somebody else's brow. It's about giving somebody else some, something to drink when they're, when they're parched. It's not about you. And then we go to the ceremony, and they have this great closing ceremony, and, and they're giving out the awards at the, end of the, at the end of the event. And it's one of those places where, you know, everybody gets an award. I mean, let's just be real. That's where we're at. That's where we are. Everybody's going to get a reward. Trophy for everybody. But anyway, they, they're giving all the, all the awards. And my son Jameson gets um, the Faith on Fire Award, which is an award for people that are, like, passionate about their faith and asking tough questions and going for it and, you know. And so I'm like, oh, that's cool. I get that. That's him. I totally get that. And then for Lincoln, they go, hey, we've got this award. We don't give this award out to very many people, just a handful of people. It's, it's, it's our highest award. And uh, we're going to give it to Lincoln. They gave it to a couple other people. And they said, okay, what we're giving you is the I Am Third Award. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that means, but it sounds, you know, I'm sure it's really important. And so, you know, he, Lincoln gets the I Am Third Award. And then we get back in the car on the way back, and I go, so Lincoln, what's the I Am Third Award all about? I don't get that. What, what does that even mean? And Lincoln goes, oh, yeah, I'll tell you. He goes, God's first. Others are second. I am third. I said, whoa. Say that again. He said, yeah. God's first, others are second, I am third. Church, let me tell you, if we get a hold of that reality, if we get a hold of that truth, if we get a hold of that perspective, if it becomes not about us, if it becomes about us elevating our vision beyond our sphere into the lives of other people, and we begin to find ways to serve people in areas that they didn't even know they needed, we begin to think about their wants and needs and desires that they don't even know they have yet. And we begin to anticipate how we can reach out beyond ourselves and serve somebody else and look to somebody else in this community. We become unstoppable. Not just we, not just this church. I mean the church becomes unstoppable when we stop making it about us and we start turning it around to somebody else. God's first. Others are second. I'm third. Here's what I want to challenge you with today. Every single one of you has an opportunity today, an opportunity to extend the love, the grace, and the mercy of Christ to somebody else. It may be a phone call that you need to make today to somebody that you've been harboring resentment against and God saying, it's not about you. It may be a person that is in need that you know about and you actually have the ability to, to, to help them out, but they're kind of a pain. 
Let's be real. And you don't want to talk to them because they talk too much, right? It's not about you. It may be a family member that could just use some encouragement. It may be a neighbor who needs to be invited to church, and they would come if you invited them. It may be a colleague who's struggling, and you could help them. You can help them, right? If you recognize that it's not about you. Because the reality is, when we get this, the Apostle Paul got this. When we get this, we change the world. We absolutely, fundamentally transform the world when it stops becoming about us. I want you to close your eyes and, and, and let me pray with you as we wrap up this series today. And we ask God to reveal to us how he wants us to serve somebody else at this time. Where is the opportunity right here, right now in our life? God, I pray right now that you would, you would make something click in our hearts this morning. Click in our mind that we would shift from the perspective of self-absorption and click into a vision of, of serving somebody outside. Serving and loving and extending the grace and mercy of God to somebody that we've never met or somebody that's on our job or somebody in our school or somebody in our family. God, I pray that, that devotion with you would become dialogue. That we would actually enter into intimate relationship with you. God, I pray that you would reveal to us how our struggles can be manifested into our strengths. And that you would transform the current circumstances and situations that we're in right now into an, into a, an avenue for development and strength and growth inside of our hearts and inside of our lives. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to allow outsiders, those with whom we have limited uh, relationships, those who may not be part of our inner circle, show us, Lord, how that person can become an opportunity to extend your grace and your love and your mercy. God, show us that it's not just about us. It's about bringing people closer together in love toward you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And everybody said amen. Amen.